Find a moment of calm at Classical WETA 90.9 FM. Available to stream now at classicalweta.org or on the Classical WETA app. You can accept it or be stupid and be a skeptic. Unconceivable, unbelievable. Unidentified flying objects. I want to believe. Welcome to the I Want to Believe podcast. I'm Nomar Slavic. I'm Kyle Slew. What do you get when it's the early 1960s? You have four British teens and a UFO sighting. Well, it has nothing to do with the Beatles. And we'll let you know in a sec. But first, a quick reminder that all of our I Want to Believe social media and email are in the show notes. Also, you can watch my documentary, Otherworldly and More, on Amazon Prime right now. Yes, I am going to say it in every episode. If you had a podcast and a documentary, you would do it too. DVDs are also available. Check the show notes for links. So, fuck yeah, let's do it. Bye-bye. The Bat Beast of Kent is up. <laughs> Oh, God. All right, well, the following info comes from the uh, cryptid wiki, and it's quite interesting and may actually sound a bit familiar to some other cases that you might be familiar with. Oh, yeah, I know those cases, but okay, get us started. On the evening of November 16, 1963, 17-year-old John Flaxton, 18-year-old Mervyn Hutchinson, and two other younger friends were walking on the Sandling Road in the county of Kent. Kent is a county in southeast England. Uh, it borders Greater London to the northwest, Surrey to the west, and East Sussex to the southwest. The county also shares borders with Essex along the estuary of the River Thames. It has also been said that the region is, quote, apparently rife with cryptozoological and paranormal activity. Oh, creepy. The boys are said to have been walking home from a party they attended when, quote, they saw a silent, glowing, orb-like object descending from the heavens. The unusual self-illuminated oval object was described as being just a few meters in diameter and hovered above a field. Dang, buddy, I can just picture it. A moonlit sky, a foggy dark ground, barely audible ambient music playing. This is how fantastic horror movies start. Absolutely. Anyways, the boys watched the object as it, quote, eventually made its way behind the trees and settled into the shadow-infested foliage of the woods of Sandling Park. That's some well-written shit right there. It is, and listen to this. Uh, while the teenagers were still reeling from their astonishing sighting, something even more inconceivable would soon grab their attention. Moments after the extraordinary craft apparently landed behind the trees, the teens noticed a shaking in the brush. Uh, that's never good. They watched the bushes intensely and finally saw what was causing the brush to move. The boys described what they saw as, quote, an erratic, shambling, quasi-humanoid figure emerged from the woods and waddled towards them. The beast apparently looked like a headless bat that was approximately five feet tall with large webbed feet and wings 
protruding from its back. Oh shit, okay, right off the bat, uh, no pun intended, what comes to mind is obviously Mothman, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Also, I'm thinking of the Dover Demon case, but more so because of teenagers sighting a weird creature at night, but obviously a different description in this case. But dude, it also reminds me of Osborne's case from my book, Otherworldly Encounters. In the chapter, The Creature on Washington Street, the witness I spoke to, Robert Osborne, described a winged weirdy that was around five feet tall. So weird, dude. Yeah, man, it does. And also, it kind of reminds me of the Flatwoods monster incident from 1952, also in West Virginia. Because, again, kids at night seeing a UFO, then a creature. Oh, yeah. Agreed, buddy. Good call. And sorry to cut you off, but I'll continue here. One of the boys, Hutchinson, he stated, quote, It didn't seem to have any head. There were huge wings on its back, like bat wings. And the cryptic wiki continues with uh, the group of friends understandably overwhelmed with terror and adrenaline sprinted away from the freakish bad thing and made their way to the nearest police station. Once there, they related their tale to what one must assume were highly skeptical officers. Another boy, Flaxton, would later explain that he felt, quote, cold all over during the encounter. That's kind of weird, but check this out. Quote, less than a week later, on the 21st of November, a young man named Keith Croucher seemed to confirm the team's claim of an unusual object soaring over Kent. He said that he and somebody's had also seen the oval object hovering over a soccer field, which is not far from where the four boys originally had their encounter. And then on November 23rd, another witness came forward, John McGoldrick. Well, he was kind of a witness after the fact he said he heard the noises and ventured in the area with a friend and claimed to have discovered quote no less than three footprints each 24 inches long and nine inches across he also stated that they stumbled across an area where the foliage had been flattened as if by some tremendous weight pretty interesting huh buddy yeah absolutely um when big goldrick started telling people about what he saw the claims quote caught the ear of the local press who were no doubt eager to feed the public's ever-growing appetite for new information regarding this strange phenomenon to that end the newsmen accompanied McGoldrick back to the scene of the weirdness on December 11th. While the reporters did not manage to turn up any new evidence, it was stated that thickets were still bathed in an eerie glow, which continued for some days before subsiding. The case was reported in numerous newspapers as well as a 1971 issue of Flying Saucer Review under the title The Saltwood Mystery due to its proximity to the area. That may be where I first heard about the case, the Flying Saucer Review. I mean, uh, I had some PDF copies saved on an old computer, which I think I actually still have in storage. But anyways, the wiki article continues and states, in the 1970s, ufologist Chris Wolf also reopened the case, and according to records, he interviewed one of the boys, Flaxton. He also inspected the scene of the unearthly encounter. Following the investigation, Wolf came to the dubious conclusion that what Flaxton, Hutchinson, and their chums actually saw was an ordinary crow, oddly illuminated by the flashing of an electronic train passing not far away in the chill autumn air. Well, Wolf wasn't... What? Well, Wolf wasn't stacking what they were splitting, huh, buddy? <laughs> Just go on. I'd like to just point out that his conclusion doesn't even come close to explaining why the crow was described as nearly five feet in height. 
web-footed and headless. Yeah, agreed. The wiki points out that, quote, other skeptics have even more dubiously suggested that the quartet saw nothing more than a scarecrow. Also, buddy, it's not only us. The wiki points out similarities to other cases, too. They wrote, as unusual as this creature's description was, it bears an uncanny resemblance to its British crypto cousin and Cornwall's most famous monster, the Owl Man. The headless, bat-like description also begs comparison to a bizarre yet eerily common breed of cryptid that includes West Virginia's Mothman, Germany's Freiburg Shrieker, China's Mandragon, and the former Soviet Union's Blackbird of Chernobyl, just to name a few. Most of the aforementioned creatures were considered by many Fordian researchers to be paranormal entities, essentially oracles of doom, but what makes the Kent case so intriguing is that it marks the first reported association between these bizarre beings and the UFO phenomenon. That is true except the Flatwoods case in 1952, 11 years earlier than the Bat Beast. That really sums up the story of the Bat Beast of Kent. What do you think, buddy? Think we have a UK cousin to the Mothman over there or vice versa, maybe? No, you never know what's... Uh... Was flapping around in the night <laughs> <laughs> and as we always say into the republic in which it stands <laughs> we'll see you next time <laughs> still not what we say until next time until next Testing, 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 testing. about mcdonald's all day can't get it off my mind i can already taste it Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some mickey d's deal there's a deal for every moment at mcdonald's right now get two of your favorites for just 350 mix and match a classic mcchicken a hot and spicy mcchicken or a juicy mcdouble price and participation may vary cannot be combined with combo meal single item at regular price I think what flavor of these new Dunkin' Coconut Refreshers you get says a lot about you. Really? What's it say about me? Well, you got the refreshing golden peach because you're vibrant, fun, and positive. Oh, what about me? The bold purple pomegranate means you're vibrant, fun, and positive. I take it I got this delicious pink strawberry because I'm vibrant, fun, and positive. Yeah, it's a simple system, really. Share the shine. Enjoy a medium Dunkin' Coconut Refresher for $3. Order ahead plus earn rewards. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer excludes classic Dunkin' Refreshers.